We have got to separate our self-worth from the worth of the company. 95% of businesses fail. It's part of what that journey can be. If I call it an epic adventure, it's not a journey walking down a, a joyful path. It goes up and down. It is an adventure. But that to me at the end of the day is that's what it's about. It's this experience in life that you had the freaking courage to do that so many people don't. You did it and you have a story to tell. So imagine going to interview for a job at a new company and being greeted, not by any people, but by a couple of dogs wandering around, finding your way into the main area where all the employers are hanging out in front of a massive rock climbing wall. And then the uh, one of the co-founders comes and greets you with his four-year-old daughter on his hip. That was the experience of Cheryl Laughlin, who ended up joining Cliff, the company that makes Cliff Bars. And then launching the Luna Bar and becoming one of the people that then ran the company, heading it up and growing it to this really substantial sized company before splitting off on her own and starting her own company called Plum Organics, which she then, along with a partner, grew into this tremendous, tremendous business and then sold it. Now, along the way, it sounds like this is, you know, a tremendous series of success stories, but there was a lot of stuff that was happening behind the scenes. Cheryl's personal life and personal health was taking a really big hit along the way. What happened and how that manifested and the interventions and the changes that she found herself making is a big part of the conversation that we explore today, along with just her incredible energy to create things that make a really big, profound difference, not only in the lives of the people that experience the products, but the people who bring those companies and businesses to life. Cheryl's also the author of a book called Killing It, which interestingly enough, the name is a bit of a double entendre because it's all about peeling back a little bit and re-examining the assumptions that you make about business and life and actually reconstructing your life so that it takes center stage in the way that you earn your living. And if you're called, build a company. I'm Jonathan Fields. This is Good Life Project. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Good Life Project is brought to you by Understood Explains, a podcast that's like a beacon for parents navigating the special education system. 
hosted by Juliana Urtube, a special education expert. This season is all about individualized education plans, or IEPs. Juliana breaks down complex topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP in a way that's easy to grasp. I checked out an episode of Understood Explains about the difference between IEPs and 504 plans, and I was struck by the balance of empathy and practical advice. It's not just about understanding the system. It's about empowering parents and caregivers to advocate for their children, which is just so important. So I've known a number of people who've had to literally scramble to figure out how to advocate for their kids when the system seemed to just make it so hard to get the support that they need and deserve. So if you're a parent navigating this world or even just wondering if it's right for your family, I encourage you to give Understood Explains a listen. Search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. It's like having a roadmap for a journey you didn't expect, making it a little less daunting. I had been running on the Chicago waterfront with a buddy of mine who was my running buddy, Peter, and he always introduced me to all the cool things. And this was in 97, and he handed me my first Cliff Bar. Hmm. And so you know, I tried the product, and I was like, wow, this is really different from the products that were out there at the time. The so number one brand was Power Bar. So 90, this is 90, like... It, what, 97. So the company is really new at that point. Like this The is, company was really new. Right. Cliff Bar, well, to me, now it seems huge. Now that I've been doing startups, it was right. about a $45 million company at the okay. time. So I was with Quaker still at this point. And he introduced me to my first Cliff Bar. I'm like, oh, this is a really good product. And I had been at the same time really dreaming about going to work for a company that was about the outdoors and athletics and things that I was really passionate about. So it just so happened, I got a, an alumni newsletter and they had listed opportunities and there was an opportunity in there to start a brand management function at Cliff Bar. This was literally three days after I learned about this brand. So I'm like, you know, go out and give it a shot. You know, we had been living in Chicago, went to Berkeley to have my interview with Cliff Bar. And so, you know, here, I, as you said, I've been working for these multinational companies so I walk into this place and I walked into a different world. Yeah. So they these dogs, there were only dogs that greeted me at the at the door. There were no people. <laughs> there were bikes hanging on the wall. I literally can't find any people in the place. So I go and I walk through the building and I see this huge climbing wall. And there in front of it is, is the whole company participating in a stretching class. And Gary Erickson, who's the co-founder and now owner of the company, he jumps up with his four-year-old daughter at the time. And he says, oh, come over to my office. So he sits down in his office on his chair. He plops Lydia, his daughter, on his lap. And he starts asking me questions. And then he's turning over to her and whispering to her. And there he's going back and forth me. And then I looked out the window and there was like the head of sales who was breastfeeding her baby. And I'm like, oh my God, this place is so different. Like here, he's talking to me as a baker and a dad and, and a husband and an athlete. And it was authentic and everyone in there was, it felt so real mm. and it was so different than what I experienced. So I, you know, I just jumped at the chance and I felt like this was a little crazy at the time. It was the spot, it was the number three bar. Most people didn't know about Cliff Bar. So I was like, I don't know if, if this is the right thing to do, but I just did it. Mm. Yeah. So you listen to, there's something inside that said, huh? <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, I just got to try something feels right. 
It was an experience that literally changed my life and my whole philosophy on business and what business could become. So I don't know if you are familiar with the Cliff Bar story. I am. Yeah, no, very much so. Do you um, want, would, should I share a small bit of it? Yeah, I would love to because I'm familiar with it and clearly you are. But it is, it's a really fascinating story. And you also play a really interesting role in that story. <laughs> well, we had um, – so when I had gotten there, I had started – well, Gary, so Gary had taught me in sharing his love of cycling and how that – Really, the bar came out of it. Cliff Bar came out of his love of cycling. And he really started teaching me to dig deep. So here I had been taught to stand back. And now he's like, dig into your soul. What's in your soul? Yeah. And, and for those who don't know also, I mean, talk about like it being personal. The bar is actually named after his exactly, dad. His dad. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And so I started thinking, you know, I use Cliff Bars, but... I only use them when I'm doing a hardcore workout. It was just too much and when I wasn't. And the category, there were virtually no women using the category at the time. This is in 1998. Category being energy bars. The energy general, bar category. Right. And, you know, it was all about men and muscle. And so we started dreaming about, well, you know, a bar that's lighter, that has new nutrients made specifically for women that you can enjoy on a daily basis. And, you know, I started talking to other women about th this and they felt the same way. And we started realizing, you know, there's just, there's a gap here. No one is addressing this market. <laughs> I always remember because we, we were just coming out with it and I was talking to actually NPR and they're like, why are you doing this? You're cutting off half the market because at the time it said Luna, you know, a whole nutrition bar for women. And the the package instead about men and muscle was all about women dancing on the moon, celebrating life. And we had no money to support the brand. We, we were so small and they were totally self-funding this thing, which is amazing in itself at yeah. that time, a $45 million company totally self-funded. Tells you how different the industry was then too. So we launched the bar, and with in three years, it became a seventy million dollar business with very, very little support because it opened up a huge amount of pent up demand mm. from people that were just missing their needs in in this category. And you know, it was mind blowing to me. So here, I took my passion and turned it into something so different than what I had learned before. And then, you know, fast forward to the year, that was 1999 when we launched it, and fast forward to the year 2000, and all of our competitors were getting bought out by big multinationals. Yeah. Because that was known as, like, the, the only way to survive once you hit a certain size in that industry was like, you have to sell. That was the word. That was yeah. the word. And once everyone else starts selling, we would, people terrified us, like, you're going to get, you guys will get crushed by these big guys. And so Gary, as, this, as the story goes, and I'll always remember the day, was sitting in his office with the investment bankers. We had gone on this big road show. We had a buyer. Right. So with, you're going to sell. As far as everyone sell. knows, everyone's in. You're going to sell. And everyone's in the company. The deal is made. It, we're like done. The price is set. Yeah. Yep. We're done. So Gary was sitting in his office with the contract on his desk, the investment bankers, the lawyers, and the company that was we were going to sell to, which actually I was going back to my alma mater, I thought, and like, oh my God, I just made this change and I'm going back there. And his 50-50 co-founder was standing next to him. And all of a sudden, you know, he stood up and he's like, I got to go for a walk. Went around the block, came back, he looked in the mall and he said, I can't sell. 
And they were floored, the company that was going to buy it. She was, his co-founder was pissed. I mean, right. walking away from millions of dollars. The number, from what I remember, what was reported, it was, it was like a $120 million deal or something like that. It, it was, well, it, it was... <laughs> Yeah, it was because the brands were going for so such multiples. Yeah, that's about what, very good. That's right. So his so his partners is counting on half of that, the, <laughs> like a big cash out, huge. Right. And so that kind of led to you know she does she doesn't even know what he's doing, what he's right. possibly thinking. And the man is so brilliant, like he's so brave and bold. And he started well. We bought her out a forty five million dollar loan, $90 million company just to buy her out. No investment capital. Could you imagine getting that size loan? Some phantom stock. But Gary began to articulate why he made that choice, which was he wanted to use the power of business to make a difference in the world. And here, you know, the body shop talked about that and Ben and Jerry's, but you didn't hear that much. You know, sustainability was not a word and organic was associated with produce. And here I was, I was blown away by this vision. Like, here's my life coming full circle with the power of business. If you could use it to make a difference in the world, that can be the greatest source of change ever. So I was stunned. I was just stunned by this vision. And I had the joy of being asked to be CEO in 2004 through 2000, it was there through 2007. And I got to experience the operationalizing this vision. And it was such a mind-blowing experience because not one of us, including me, had any physical equity in the company because of everything that he had been through. And we all believed in our heart of hearts with such emotional and spiritual equity in that company. And we've moved mountains. Yeah. We moved mountains against, (laughs) he had five bottom lines, not just one. He had five. What were the five? I mean, I've heard of triple bottom line. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he, went, he went a step further. Right. Gary always goes a step further. So it's sustaining our business, our people, our planet, our community, and our brands. Uh-huh. And they were all interlinked. And one of the first things we did is we developed a bonus program that was based on all of those, making progress on all of those. And so people saw, you know, we were, this was our purpose. And mm. they it went, I've learned this so much when, People feel like they have meaning in their work and purpose. It becomes so much more than getting a paycheck or going to a job. It is, it's your heart and soul that you put into this. And I was stunned by what I experienced there. I was totally stunned. And then I got the entrepreneurial bug and had mm. to tr- try it myself. Were, were you shocked? I mean, because this is, it goes against so much. On the one hand, it goes, it makes perfect sense. You know, like you have this big mission, you have a charismatic leader, you have like a great product and a team. But one of like the sort of chunks of wisdom that you always hear is like people aren't going to work like the way that you're describing they work unless they actually, they're vested. They have equity. They have, you know, like they have some ownership in the business. So it's fascinating to hear you share that. Now, these people worked like they were owners because the mission was so bold and so well-defined and so so much beyond them being in yes. service of five bottom lines. Yet, one of the first things I did when I co-founded my company was to give people physical equity also. Okay. So let's, let's, let's kind of make that journey. So 
So you're, you know, essentially running Cliff mm-hmm. till 2007. Yeah. No, yeah, 2007. Okay. So what, what happens that makes you say it's time? Well, you know, I just, I'd been there 10 years and I had grown up there and I had felt like I believed so much in the vision, but it didn't come originally from my soul. And uh, there was this guy that I had hired over at Cliff Bar from Idea, the, the design, famous design firm, Neil Grimmer, and just brilliant product designer and branding guy. And, you know, whenever I was with him, it was, it was like I felt like when I was with Gary, like the world slips away and you're going into another, another universe of courageous creativity. And that's how I felt like with Neil. And the more I started thinking about, yeah, I, I want to do my, I want to do my own thing. He was the person that I wanted to do it with. Mm. So we spun out of Cliff Bar and- Was uh, Gary surprised? How did that- <laughs> Yeah, it was, you know, I, it was, I think, surprised, but not surprised because I'd been there for so long, you know, and I think someone else actually outside was the wife of somebody who worked there, said it really well. She's like, you know, Cheryl, she was talking to, I've heard this third hand, but Cheryl had been there, you know, it, it shaped the course of her career. And there's always a time where you say, it's time to, to graduate, mm. you know, and I felt like I learned, Gary taught me so much and his wife kit about the world and and you know digging into your his heart for love and just everything i and how to run a really freaking great business that it was just it was time it mm. i just felt it in my heart and soul and i've always felt that later on when i decided to leave plum it was just i felt it it was it was time yeah what else is happening if you zoom the lens out and what else is going on in your life, in your world at that moment? You ask good questions. I'm trying to think back. Well, I had had my second child and we had just actually come back from every seven years at Cliff, you, you, get, go on a, you can go on a six-week sabbatical. And we had been in, this was a year before I left, but we had been in South America. And I think my my world opened up again. Like at Cliff Bar, it's such a wonderful place. And it's kind of like the boomerang. If anyone leaves, they usually come back because it's so special. But I felt like I had been living in this bubble. And I just wanted to, I don't know, I just felt like I was ready to take a bold move to do something. And it was, you know, it was scary. It, it's it was so great. How could anything be better? And you know, I've seen the world and the world the way the world lives so differently. I just I don't know. I just had this calling to find out what else was out there, and I don't even know how to describe it. It just was like I felt ready. Hmm. I felt ready, and I wanted to carry forth my own purpose and what I felt like was so important to me. Because you know, I went in there at. Well, I was probably like, I don't know. I was, I, I can't remember. I shouldn't even say because I'm getting so old now. <laughs> so well, let's not go there. But I, you know, I, I, you know, when you go to school and you and you go through your four years of college and you graduate and you feel ready for the next thing to come and finding your own and finding your own, uh, what's coming from your whole depth of yourself. And that's where I was. I yeah. was ready to graduate. But I mean, the interesting thing to me is that Yes, most of us reach that point and most of us ignore it. Mm. Because like that same thing is like, okay, so, you know, 
it was a big move for you to go to Cliff in the first place. You know, you're going from this big, giant, stable thing to something where it was like growing. It was profoundly different. And but then you 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 grow up in this company and you're running the company and you know you've got notoriety. You've got a certain amount of stability. You've got a sense of mission and purpose. You've got community. And and so many of us, I think, hit that point in our careers in different ways mm. where, yes, there's all this good stuff, but there's a there's a yearning that's building and yes. building and building. Yeah. But we're so terrified yes. of leaving what we have that we pretend that that yearning isn't there. So there was something in you that said, no, nah, I'm okay walking away, which is unusual. That's, it's so that's so fascinating that you say that because when my husband and I talk, I'm always the one that takes a little less risk. And so that's very interesting. Because right. he's like, an entrepreneur, was an entrepreneur He was also. an entrepreneur as well. And he he was he was way on the other end of risk. But, right. if, you know, I talk about it in my book, yeah. what oh, we went that. through. Yeah. And, we, and I don't, we can talk about that in a little bit if you want about what happened with his, his company that we started as really kind of like a family company. Right. But, you know, I think that we went through... You, know, you, you don't realize when you're young how much your journey kind of twists and turns and you evolve as a person over time. So after going through this business disaster that we had, he became a lot more, I think, conservative. Not, he still has the risky side, but a lot more conservative. And maybe I've pushed out more on the risky side with the experience, the experiences that I've had, but it's an interesting observation. I don't know. I just feel inside. Yeah. I mean, and also because there's an assumption that entrepreneurship, like the big risk stepping into the abyss is a younger person's game. Like I think on two levels, one, because generally to start something, (laughs) you know, there is no off button. Yes. It's just you're living and breathing it, you know, like right. 24 7, seven days a right. week. And also, because, you know, like very often we get into a point in life where, you know, like we have partners or kids yes. or parents who are looking to us because they're aging or whatever it may be. And there's like this assumption that, well, this is the stage where you get responsible and you reduce risk. Yes. And I feel like there's just a, like a cultural thing that says yes. there's a time, you know, for you to go and start something. It's but, so you know, true. it's not when you're sort of, you know, moving into a season of life where you're supposed to be responsible. <laughs> so I'm always fast. <laughs> I'm fascinated when, when somebody, male, female, it doesn't matter, sort of moves into this season simultaneously, says, I'm going to go there. Wow. What a fascinating thought. And, you know, it's interesting because when I was uh, running the Center for Entrepreneurial Studies over at the Stanford Graduate School of Business, the biggest thing I kept telling people was, we've got to get people who are boomers to be entrepreneurs because they're at a point in life where they're seeing the world so differently and have such a different perspective and, you know, have a certain freedom financially that they never had before. Yeah, they're sort of like on the other side of that. They're on the other side of it. And I think at the time, and that's where, you know, Plum ended up evolving to, here I'm a mom. And maybe part of it was my momness calling out to me and saying, this is, you have a different perspective on the world now than you ever have had before. Mm. And it's time to follow that. And maybe that... God, you're like a therapist. It's like it overrode whatever other sort of hesitation you have. Yeah, I I think so. I've never thought of that before, but I think, yeah. Interesting. All right, so you leave and you you start something new. We start something new. And it was, you know, Neil and I just in our house with our friend David, actually, just 
dreaming. I mean, there's literally in, in my sunny kitchen with the sunshine coming in the window, and we we're just dreaming about what do we want to do. And our our first idea was, you know, why are all at the time all these organic companies selling out to these big companies and they're losing their soul. And so we thought, you know, here I'd worked for General Foods, now Kraft, a, a, you know, a bunch of different brands within a portfolio. So we said, well, why don't we start something which is like a portfolio of organic brands where you could grow your revenue, but also grow your soul. And we'd bring in really small brands and, and build them through innovation because that was our expertise. So we had, there was an investor who had a similar idea. So we were just like, let's just go for it. And, you know, here, this investors get, he said, here's a million dollars, go work on further work on this concept. So we did, and we drew it out. And we, he's like, Oh, you know, this is sounding pretty interesting. And we called it the Nest Collective. So it was going to be a collective of, of brands. And it was like products for your body, inside your body, on your body, and outside your body. So it was this humongous idea. <laughs> and Neil and I, my co-founder, used to go running all the time. That's where we, that was our best time to come up with ideas. And I'm like, Neil, this feels too big. Like it just doesn't give us direction. And so we both started talking about our kids and how my kids were eight and five at the time, and how we wanted to eat them, feed them healthy organic food. But this was in the year 2007. And if you walk through the aisles of Whole Foods at that time, the food was not exciting. It didn't even taste that good. And we, you know, we wanted, we had busy spouses. We wanted our, to find ways to have a convenient way to feed our kids. And the, the packages were not attractive to kids. It was not exciting to eat organic, sustainable food. And so we thought, well, what if we do something around food for kids and helping kids nourish a lifetime of healthy eating? And we just found there was a massive gap between organic and healthy. And at the other side, convenient and good tasting and, mm. and beautiful and well-designed. So we went out, we were talking to a lot of parents and they felt the same way. And we went to the Natural Products Expo that year and found there is a huge gap in the market. No one was addressing just that like at the time. Everything is validating your hunch along the way. Everything yeah. was valid. And, and obesity was just becoming talked about as yeah. a humongous issue. So we had bought a small consumer products business out of this company called Revolution Foods. They deliver healthy meals to kids in schools. And they had started very, very small. It was almost nothing. Healthy lunchbox business. So we said, well, why don't we buy that part of the business? We'll license the name and we'll develop our, our products within it. And so it's, you know, just a really good story of doing great things for kids. So we had developed these products and had gone to a trade show. And we had created this little squeezy pouch that you mm -hmm. see everywhere now in kids' foods. But at the time, it was really very popular in Japan and also the United States, also the United Kingdom. Sorry, scratch mm -hmm. that. It was popular in Asia and in the UK. And we were fascinated by the package because it was just, you know, it was flexible and it wasn't like the baby pouches, uh, the baby jars where the product just was cooked the crap out of it. Right. 
in it was it was almost like the product was made almost like making ceviche. It was the acid from huh. the fruit that helped us offset the the vegetables so that it was much fresher in that pouch. And so we're like, oh, this is kind of this is a very interesting way to deliver food. So we're at this the trade show again, and this guy comes up to our booth and He's, you know, got his badge turned around, so we had no idea who it was. And he's looking at the product, looking at the pouch, checking it out and sniffing it. And he looks at us, and Neil and I, and he says, you know, I'm, I'm Paul. I'm the buyer at Toys R Us. Babies are us. He said, I've been looking for a baby food like this, and we had only had it for kids' food. And I'm thinking of importing it from Europe. But if you can come up, like, with something like this for me for baby food... You know, I'll take it. You, but I, you have two months to do it. Right. <laughs> and you know, and I were like, "This is fucking nuts. There is no way." <laughs> we didn't know anything about baby food. What did you tell him at the moment, though? We're like, we just smiled. Really, Let us think about that. Right. We'll get back to you. It's like no problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no problem. So we go back to the company and said, "We have a challenge, and we need you guys to help us decide if we should do it." Here's something that sounds crazy. We know nothing about baby food. It's a lot more obviously sensitive than even kids' food because of the baby development. But if we can do that to our mission to help kids develop a lifetime love of healthy eating, this is the place to start. Yeah, it's is like when the, they're babies. the earliest possible point, right? Totally. So, you know, everyone looked at us and they're like, let's do it. This is what purpose does for you. You know, right. let's do it. So we said, okay, Paul, we're, we're on, we're on for the game. We'll see what we can do. And it was so hard and we made so many mistakes. We had no idea what we were doing and it was so new. There was no one else doing baby food in this pouch. Mm. So we ended up finding a way to get him this, this product in, in two months and he was he was like, oh, you know, this is great. He was really stunned. So he really, Paul set the whole, really the whole domino effect. So he brought the product into his store and he, he was so impressed by how quickly we were able to innovate. He basically took everything that we had made since then and Toys R Us, Babies R Us, it's like this huge, beautiful display of our products, dedicated to our products. And retailers started to take notice. And what was happening, and consumers were taking notice, because we didn't even fully realize this at the time, but we had the baby food in jars was a loss leader category, meaning that retailers lost money on every bottle, that jar that they sold. It was a way to bring consumers into the store. Mm. So here we had created this product that was more expensive, but it was double the price the velocity, how much it was moving was similar to baby jars. So the retailer was making regular for the first margin time, right. for yeah. the first time. And the jars didn't break, so they didn't have nearly that much loss. I mean, Amazon.com was one in five baby jars was breaking that they sent out. Huh. You know how much that impacts their business. So here, the retailer has this huge benefit. The consumer is loving it because the jars don't bake. They're convenient. The product... Tastes good. Actually, this is an interesting side story. We were talking to um, actually moms at the time. We had br brought them into our offices, and we were sampling the product to see how babies responded. So we'd hand them a pouch. We'd say, "Hey, can you feed this to the, their babies? Your babies? You know what they did? 
they took a, a spoonful and instead of giving it to their babies, they tasted it themselves, hmm. which was a huge insight for us because they were the judge. So imagine tasting baby food out of a jar versus plum that was so fresh tasting. And we knew we had something. Hmm. So the consumer was there. The retailer was there. And then Whole Foods took us. And then Target took us. And it was you know, it created basically created a whole new category. All of these people came into it, but it we were we were the first, and it made a huge difference. Life is full of awesome what ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Good Life Project is sponsored by Lexus GX. So have you ever owned something that inspired you to just up your game? For me, it was this high-end mountain bike. I love the ultralight frame, the suspension, the precision gearing, and I realized it deserved to be ridden to its full potential. So I started training harder so I could experience the joy it could give back to me. And it paid off. That bike helped me discover just new levels of performance and straight up joy. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Imagine tackling rugged landscapes with the available 33-inch all-terrain tires and multi-terrain select, then unwinding with the available front row massaging seats. This is a vehicle that inspires you to go further to live up to its full potential. So why settle? Live up to the all-new Lexus GX. Luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Good Life Project is sponsored by NetSuite. So I remember when our businesses were just starting to really scale. It was amazing and also added complexity and stress. And the things that I used to do in hours were taking days, too many spreadsheets, too many systems, no single source of truth. If that sounds familiar, you should know these numbers. 37,000. 25 and 1. 37,000 businesses have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. 25. NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. And 1. Because your business is one of a kind. So you get a customized solution for all of your key performance indicators in one efficient system with one source of truth, manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. Everything you need to grow all in one place. And right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash goodlife. That's netsuite.com slash goodlife to get your own KPI checklist. netsuite.com slash goodlife. So the company is essentially exploding. The company <laughs> exploded. 
And then I did too. Yeah. Which, so let's go there because, you know, this is the best, the best of times on the surface. Yeah. You've got this, like, you're just hitting everything. You're innovating like crazy. You're literally creating a new category. Yeah. You're solving problems on levels that you, you didn't even know existed. And from the outside looking in, it's like, wow, you know, she's got the golden touch. You know, she's doing it again. And this, there's this amazing thing happening. But that's taking a big toll on you personally, it sounds like. Well, there were a couple. It was like the perfect storm yeah. of taking a toll. So, you know, as as I'm going through that, I'm starting Plum. I also had a really, really tough investor that was you know, kind of like a neighborhood bully. And he, every day I didn't know what kind of mood he would be in. He was up and down and yelling and not yelling. And you're the best. You're the worst. And so I'm on this roller coaster. And then at the same time, my husband decided, you know, he had the entrepreneurial bug and wanted to start something. And it was a great idea. It was called Blue Sky Family Club, and it was this big play, indoor play space for kids where kids could do exercise and eat healthy and be creative, and parents could relax with a glass of wine or a beer. It was anti-Chuck E. Cheese. Mm. And every parent we told about this drooled over the concept. And Patrick was so over the moon excited. And you know, I, I was excited too. And I was in love with Patrick and I didn't want to be a naysayer, but it took, you know, it took a little while. And I finally said to him one Thanksgiving, when was this in 98? I said, okay, you know what, let's go for it. So I got on board and, and the idea was, you know, look at my company from the beginning was VC backed. And so we didn't have as much control in his, we thought, well, let's self-fund this. So it's our baby. Mm-hmm. But we took on a massive amount of debt. And we thought we had, we would have more control and it would be our family business. So we opened the, you know, we had so many, I mean, I could go on and on about building a restaurant. It's so many city delays. And we were so naive in restaurants. We were actually paying $20,000 a month rent alone. We were. And there were delays and upgrades, and we didn't know enough to negotiate with the landlord before he took a lease. And then it had been very cold. This was in Emeryville in California. Been very, very cold all summer. And, you know, perfect way to open a play space. Literally the day we opened the door, it was beautiful and sunny (laughs) for for months. And I'll always remember the day, Patrick, so Patrick is a total optimist, and he came home one day and he's literally white as a ghost and, you know, cold to the touch, like almost like touching a dead person. And I can't, I was looking at him like, Patrick, what is wrong? And he, he wouldn't tell me. And it felt like hours. It could have been minutes. I, I, I don't know to this day how long it was. And I, I said to him this years later, I said, why didn't you tell me what was happening? And he said, because I knew the moment I said something, our lives would change forever. And they did. We lost everything we had. We almost went personally bankrupt. We had to move out of our house immediately into just this dumpy apartment. I would hear gunshots outside my window and it was, I mean, it was crazy. You felt like you were in a different world. And even just last year, this is eight years after we had closed the doors, we just finished paying off our SBA loan. Mm. It was, I went into like 
feeling nothing mode because Patrick, I was so worried about Patrick. He couldn't get out of bed. He literally couldn't sleep. For three months, he had to go to the Stanford Sleep Clinic to learn how to sleep again. And he'd wake up in the morning and he'd hold me tight because he didn't want me to go. And I had to break away to go to Plum. And it was just like heart-wrenching. And then we were worried about the kids. What was, you know, our stress doing to them because we couldn't hide it. And, you know, here I'm trying to like just be strong as I walk into Plum, but my life is falling apart. And Plum is crazy, crazy startup mode. So we can talk about how I dealt with the stress, which was yeah. not a good way to deal with it. I mean, let's, let's go there. So, you know, I I started, I, I was a runner, so I would go out and go for a run. And it was the place where I felt like, honestly, I wasn't in the house, like hearing these these creditors calling us and Patrick like freaking out of what to do. And so it was my space. And so then, you know, I just decided to run a little more and- ran a little more. And then, you know, I was running for hours at a time and I was cutting down on my eating a little bit and friends and family were saying, no, you're, you know, you're losing some weight. And I'm like, cool. You know, who doesn't want to lose a few pounds? That's great. And then they started saying, you're kind of losing a lot of weight. And I'm seeing the numbers going down on the scale. And here I'm a business person. So numbers, that's what you look for, you know, numbers. And I'm seeing the numbers in my mind going in the right direction on the scale. And people started really saying, you know, I'm pretty worried about you. And I mean, it it took years for me to, to truly realize what was happening. But little by little, anorexia was eating away at me. And I started feeling like, again, I didn't fully realize what I was going through, but I felt like I couldn't think. And I it was just like, everything was, my life felt so out of control. And here I'm like, I've got to be the leader of this company and be strong and come in and, you know, be really thoughtful about where we need to go with our growth. And I, I just started realizing I can't do this anymore. I can't put on this charade anymore. And I had been, you know, I had always dreamed about being like going to a university where the sun was shining and people were talking about big giant ideas. And, you know, it was this place of brilliance. And as I'm going through this, I don't know, somehow these jobs like come serendipitously at certain times in your life. And I heard about they needed someone to run the Center for Entrepreneurial Studies at Stanford. And so I'm like, well, you know, I got to go check this out. And and I went and it's like, it was out of my dreams. You know, Stanford is friggin' la la land. Mm, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they play jazz I've, music. I've walked the, the campus. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. They plays jazz music in the center of the business yeah. school. There's balconies, you know, off the, uh, off of the center for entrepreneurial studies and everyone's b- brilliant and beautiful and it's like, you know, and, and talking about big, huge things and saying, like, it's just my time. I, that same feeling like I've got to have a change because it, this is not good for me anymore and it's not good for the company anymore. Mm. You know, so I, I left. Well, I know you talk about a moment where I think it was four of your friends basically got on planes and had mm. a bit of an intervention. Yeah, I'm going to see those fr- friends in uh, two weeks. We've got our <laughs> annual girls weekend. I don't even think they knew at the time that was an intervention. Huh. I, you know, a lot of the, I have one friend that lived near me, but a, my one of my closest friends lived in New York, so we hadn't seen each other for a while. 
and her her name is Anj, and Anj's birthday is what we're celebrating in a couple weeks. So she comes to my house, and I open the door, and her eyes like bug out of her head. She's like, oh my God, what has happened to you? I mean, I looked like a skeleton. I look at pictures of myself and I did, I mean, literally look like, you know, a Holocaust survivor. And I had hit, I remember that day too, because I had hit my lowest number that I had ever hit before. And it actually scared me. So we, you know, throughout the weekend, we're talking about it. And I, I was, it really was the first time that I started telling people that I realized that something is seriously wrong and that I was starting to do something about it. And the reason why I realized is because we had, my, you know, plummet sold and we decided to move up to wine country and in Santa Rosa. And I wanted to just take some time off. And Stanford was awesome, but it was, it was way too long of a drive. I just couldn't, couldn't even go there even if I had wanted to. And so I was going to, you know, just take some time off and and kind of find myself again. So I'd been starting to deal with it. And when, I don't know, after that discussion, I'm like, this is really bad. And I felt very depressed. And that was the other thing. I'm like, everything now is, there's nothing now that's telling me I have any stress or anything. And I'm still feeling depressed. Yeah. And I started finally just digging in and working on my recovery. And, you know, it was, it was really, it's so weird to sit there and go, I was going to a therapy once a week, nutrition therapy twice a week, and you're, you know, digging into your whole soul. And it was like, it was, it was super hard. It was super, super, super hard. But one of the things, the amazing things about it is that I would bring my kids sometimes with me to the nutrition therapist. And it was so interesting to hear her talk to them and explain to them what was happening. And, you know, they, they said, she would say things like, tell, God, I haven't thought about this for a long time and I'm going to start to get a little teary eyed. She would say, you know, tell me, tell me what scares you. And, you know, and they would say whatever it was, one of them said, you know, riding a roller coaster and, she said, well, you've got to understand that eating certain things for your mommy is is just as scary. And just put it in words that they can get. And all of a sudden over time, it started, it's just started coming to me like, if I'm going to do this for anyone, I mean, people at the doctor would say, you know, you could die from this. I was like, die? what are you talking about? Like, it didn't make sense to me. And it started clicking in. If I could, I can't do that to my family. And it was, I don't know, the whole thing going through blue sky and going through that, like I felt, I was strong for Patrick and then I fell apart once he was strong and then he became strong for me. That's why he's my, we celebrated our 20 year anniversary yesterday and I was here in New York. He's in (laughs) California, but it brought us together in ways that it's, we have an unbreakable bond now because of it. And then I came back. And I said I was never going to do the day-to-day thing again. <laughs> and then I found my company, Rebel. Yeah. So just to kind of put a put a cap on it, because you mentioned it, but but very quickly, you did end up you you ended up selling Plum. Yes. And being able to exit very nicely right. from what's told. And the interesting thing is that didn't solve the problem. That was the moment, which is so interesting because I I wonder sometimes whether, you know, as long as we have this thing, that just demands 
a hundred percent of our attention, hundred yeah. percent. You know, like it gives us an excuse not to go there. Deal with this, um, yeah. even if that thing is also a big part of the problem. You Absolutely. know, um, and then we think, you know, you know, when when it goes away, everything will get better. But sometimes when it goes away, that's a moment that we actually have to face ourselves fully. Yes, and then that's when the real terror sets in. It is, and that it's such an important point because I've find one of the th- reasons why I moved to Santa Rosa and getting out of the craziness of the valley was I wanted to force myself to be alone with myself, mm. and that was very hard for me. I kept myself, to your point, so busy, and I know I have that tendency still to this day. Being alone with your thoughts is hard. It's hard. It's scary. I think for most of us, it's one of the hardest things we can do. It is. <laughs> Which and and I think we judge ourselves for that totally. because we're like, oh, I'm better than that. Like I've accomplished yes. so much. Yes. Like I can be still, and it's yeah. brutally hard for so many of us. Well, it's an interesting side story in there. So I had, I had at that time, you know, I had no title on my business card. I didn't have a place to go through every day. And I was so lost. And so I did what any good Jew would do. And I joined a a, a women's support group in a local Unitarian church so I could meet some people. So I go in the first day of of the meeting and and so it's, you know, it's kind of like your prototypical thing that you would think. It's, there's a well-worn rug and this, this, these dumpy couches and Smells like coffee, of course. Mm-hmm. So I walk into this room, and there's these, uh, you know, this group of women who are in their seventies and eighties, and we're sitting around a circle, and it's exactly to your point. So they're going around and they're talking about how they're um, helping an ailing husband, or they like puttering around in the garden, volunteering in the church, and it comes to me. So here, you know, I sit up straight in my chair to, you know, I'm going to rattle off just what you said. Here's my resume, you know, and I'm going through it. Yeah, I was the co-founder of Plum and I ran Clip Bar and all this stuff. And and they just kind of looked at me and I I took a deep breath and I looked at Molly and said, listen, I'm just trying to find myself. And this wise woman sitting next to me said, you know what, we've all been there. We maybe can help, but we can at least just be here to to listen. And I realized in that there was some sort of click in that moment that I am beyond the ups and downs of my company. I, you know, here they wanted to see me as, you know, a loving daughter, a mom, a wife, someone who loves drinking Chardonnay and going camping. And I'm an avid reader. They didn't care about all that other stuff. And and here, you know, here's people who you think, oh, they're they're always thinking about their accomplishments at seventy and eighty, and it didn't it didn't matter. And I just started it was one of the things that started me thinking about the world so differently in that moment. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I remember reading some research on happiness, and it turns out that I think when you're younger, you would assume that. I think a lot of people would assume that once you sort of hit the, the later season of your life, that you start to get less happy because you're you yes. know, things you lose ability, illness. Yeah. But the research actually shows the opposite that most people actually become happier. There's yeah. there's this sort of curve where you start to actually there's a, a certain perspective that sets yes. in. There's a certain contentment. There's a certain uh, you know okay. I'm at a place where I can breathe a little bit. I often wonder whether we would all 
do better, spending a little bit more time with people who are, you know, in that season of life, just to help us get a bit more perspective. Well, it's interesting that you say that because I have never been afraid of getting old, but Mm. I can never articulate why. And I was reading Joseph Campbell, the famous Joseph Campbell, who is such a brilliant man. I was reading his biography and the biography was actually called The Hero's Journey. And he, when I was reading his work, there was something that he said that just stopped me. Exactly. It's interesting. I didn't know there was research behind it because what he said was, when you're in your youth, you're always striving for the next thing. And your head is so much in the future. It always is in the future. And he said, when you get into a certain point of your life, it's about the present. And this is where you are. And I was like, Oh my God, that is what, like, I have this dream of walking around everything. I love the sun. You could say I keep using the sun, but walking along a path, holding hands with my husband. And like, that makes me so happy when I think about that. And yeah, it's like, you just, you you don't feel the pressure anymore. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think if I've kind of gone down the uh, sort of like Eastern philosophy, Buddhism path and, you know. My sense is that so much suffering is self-generated by us because it comes from us either living so much in the future and having anxiety about the future, which largely we can't control, or having lament about the past, which is over. Yes. (laughs) You know, and there's a certain amount of grace that just comes from being able to wake up and saying, huh, it's like I'm here. Yeah. You know, and experiencing that and sounds easy. But it's brutally hard. <laughs> well, and I think to your point, though, it's, you know, in, in Blue Sky, yeah, it was a very expensive mistake and it was hard, so hard for our family. But at the same time, and, you know, there, to your point about the Buddhist philosophy, we learn so much from going through that. And that is the hero's journey, right? Yeah, you absolutely. come out the other side with such a different perspective. So I think that is part of it. It's building your story. And my kids are now 13 and 16. And, you know, you want to hold them and say, no, it's going to be okay. I swear, you know, and your heart like breaks. I remember my son, this was just this this, on Monday, he had done this whole test online and was so proud of himself because he didn't even have to do the whole test. And he hit save and the whole thing disappeared. And he's slamming the wall with his fists and he's devastated. My heart was breaking. And I just wanted to say, it's going to be okay. But I'm like, no, he's got to feel this. He's got to feel what it's like to have these things happen in his life because that's what it leads you to, to learning how to live. Yeah. Yeah. No, great. Good Life Project is sponsored by Lexus GX. So have you ever owned something that inspired you to just up your game? For me, it was this high-end mountain bike. I love the ultralight frame, the suspension, the precision gearing, and I realized it deserved to be ridden to its full potential. So I started training harder so I could experience the joy it could give back to me. And it paid off. That bike helped me discover just new levels of performance and straight up joy. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Imagine tackling rugged landscapes with the available 33-inch all-terrain tires and multi-terrain select 
then unwinding with the available front row massaging seats. This is a vehicle that inspires you to go further to live up to its full potential. So why settle? Live up to the all-new Lexus GX. Luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. So at some point you decide to go back into the belly of the beast. <laughs> I know. Like, as, as we're sitting here, you, obviously you guys can't see this, but I'm drinking this like actually super yummy beverage rebel. That is your new company. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. I like, I can't, I said I was done with the day to day, totally done. So I was just going to teach entrepreneurship, which I started doing at Sonoma State and I was going to serve on boards. And then uh, this guy, Paolo Hawken, I had met him at Nest, now called Plum. Neil and I both met him. And he was introduced to me actually by his father, who's Paul Hawken, who's considered like the father of sustainability. The man is brilliant. He said, I want you to meet my son. He's a real amazing product innovator. So Neil and I really wanted to hire him because we soaked in great people. And it, we couldn't make it work. He had uh, co-founded Bossa Nova Beverage Company. He wasn't ready to leave. So he just popped into my life back through LinkedIn and he's like, hey, you know, we're looking for a board member and I was thinking of you. And so we started talking and, you know, I'm like, oh, this co company sounds pretty cool. So I decided to be on the board and the more I got to know the company, all of a sudden I'm like, oh my God, this has got the magic that I've seen in these other brands. I smell it, you know, it's got it. And what I was finding was it, it's the, these three powerful things. It's the brand, it's the purpose, and it's the people. And so when I looked, I started realizing this brand, which is, it's all about, it's a coconut milk-based elixir. And it's all about the goodness of the plant queendom. It's all pure to the core, totally clean label and or organic and and so exceptionally healthy no stabilizers in there no you know natural no natural flavors it's just the product as is Apollo is a brilliant brilliant craftsman it is we we cultivate you know from the best of the plant queendom and then he crafts it into this beautiful beverage and it also what he gets that every company that I've been part of gets is that it doesn't matter how healthy it is. If it doesn't taste exquisite, it's never going to be able to come into its own over time. It's just going to stay within, you know, a really small core. 
and he understands the art of food. And this brand, so Revel, R-E-B-B-L, stands for Roots, Extracts, Berry Sparks, and Leaves. So it's what's in the product. It's a fun acronym, too. Yeah. yeah. So it's all about these super herbs such as turmeric that people now know a lot about with its antioxidant and anti-inflammatory properties, but also herb adaptogens, which people are just starting to get to know. Things like maca and reishi mushroom and ashwagandha. And here are you know herbs that have been around for the millennia. But we're starting to realize now through ashwagandha, there's clinical research behind it that shows that it actually actually helps your body adapt to stress. stress, So it's so old, but yet it is so related to modern life. And I'm blown away by this brand. So the Rebel, which has as a brand marketer at heart, (laughs) this is such juice. You know, it's the strength of the herbs in the Rebel, but it's also the strength of the individual. And every single person, part of their now bigger, ever-growing tribe of, of rebels, the people get it. Consumers get it. So I'm like, okay, it's got the brand thing. Then the purpose is mind-blowing to me. So this company was actually started by a nonprofit. And the nonprofit is called Not For Sale. And Not For Sale, Dave Bestone, who is the founder of Not For Sale, his whole goal was to eradicate modern-day human trafficking. And that's the sex trade and and the slave trade. And it's such, it's something that people don't realize how big it is. It's 30 million people around the world and growing. It's the fastest growing illegal industry there is. And just to give some perspective, at the time of, you know, the slaves in the Civil War, there were about 8 million. Now it's 30 million worldwide. And it's the second biggest illegal industry behind the drug trade. It's bigger than illegal weapons. And 80% of who is impacted by it is women and girls. And so he was, he wanted to find a way to solve this problem. And he had been a business person. So Dave was brilliant and he is creating a whole new model, which is, you know, the nonprofit model in many ways is broken and not for sale is a nonprofit, but it's just, you're constantly out trying to raise funds from donations and foundations and it's just a hard road. And here's business that if you have the right business is a sustainable, valuable business model. And so he, what they came up with, with was a solution, which was to create a beverage using the herbs from the indigenous people to help them to get out of a slave vulnerable situation by helping them to gain their livelihood. So now fast forward to this day, and that was they were addressing the issue in, in Peru. We give two and a half percent of every bottle sold, our sales, not our profits or net sales. We don't have any profits as a company that's investing in the business. And we also work with growers throughout the world to help them to have a livelihood so they're never vulnerable to trafficking in the first place. Mm-hmm. So this story, we go to work every day fighting trafficking. Do you know how powerful that is as a motivator for our whole entire team? So that connects into the team, the third thing, brand, purpose, and team. This team is has so much grit, and they believe so much in this idea and what we're doing, the really courageous creativity. And now we're attracting, we just hired these two, a senior VP of uh, sales, senior VP of marketing that are world-class. One was the senior vice president at Kindbar. And the other was a uh, vice president of marketing over at Crave most recently. 
brilliant people who have that same passion. And so I'm seeing this as a, as a board member. The, some of this is is very recent, but I'm seeing all this magic. And Paulo, who had been the CEO of the company for three years, he never wanted to be the CEO. He hated being the CEO. He's a product guy. And he's and we had to go into our first institutional fundraise. And he's like, can you help me? And I'm like, all right, well, listen, Paolo, I'll do I'll, I'll be the interim CEO. I'll help you find a CEO and I'll help fundraise because, you know, I had already done fundraising six times. I knew the drill. So I go in through the fundraise. We raised the money and. You know, the board started saying, hey, you know, would you want to do this, um, you know, full time? And I'm learning about this brand. And I was like, oh, my God, you know, I feel it again. And these were some really hard conversations with Patrick. Yeah, I would imagine because there's a whole other thing that's a concern for you now. It's like you know that there's a dark place that you can go to. And there's a, there's a dark place also that I can go to and many entrepreneurs go yeah. to, and we could talk about that in general because we definitely have the light side, our persistence and dedication, and the dark side, my dark side. And I'm finding as I'm as this book has been out there that I've written, Killing It, an Entrepreneur's Guide to Keeping Your Head Without Losing Your Heart, so many women are coming forth telling me they have an eating disorder, they had one. And I really think the statistics are even a lot bigger than they're even showing because this seems like it's women, men are impacted by it, but this is women's way of dealing with the stress and, and lack of control. But things like bi- bipolar disease, ADHD, depression, drug abuse, uh, all of those things are they found, first of its kind study done by Dr. Michael Freeman that much higher in the entrepreneurial population yeah. than the general prop. So it's the dark side of, of the yeah, light and, side. And I think the light is being shined on that in the last couple of years. A lot, more and more. I, I mean, very sadly, because Suicide. there's, suicides yeah. have been reported pretty broadly. Yeah. And so now all of a sudden, I think this the world of entrepreneurship is starting to have to face its dark side a bit more yes. and, and hopefully, you know, making some inroads there. Totally. And in a culture that it's all about uh, through the media, which is why I'm so happy you're doing this podcast throughout the media, through the people I met at Stanford, like, this is where you make billions of dollars and life is perfect. And I mean, it's, that's why I wrote my book. I'm like, it is hard and yeah. no one is talking about it. And there's got to be a place to do that. So, you know, so Patrick and I are having this hard conversation and he was really resistant to this idea. You know, I'd been through my recovery. And was like, I, I, I don't think this is the right thing. And I, I really don't want you to do it. And I'm, you know, I was having so much fun. And as I'm doing it, though, something was different this time. And I was creating the space for my family. I was doing different things to make sure that we were still connected with family and friends. I wasn't lost in the isolation of of entrepreneurship anymore. And I felt differently. And, you know, even as we went through some hard times with the company, I said, Patrick, I don't know, there's this weird feeling that I have. And I love this company with my heart and soul. And I love every single person a part of it. But it feels a little bit outside. Like I can see the problems, but I can see the other side of them mm. where before I can never see the other side. Yeah. And maybe it didn't define you as much anymore. It didn't define me. No. And our identities are so wrapped up in things when we're 
entrepreneurs are, are a lot of times their net worth is wrapped up in it. You know, we're artists in a way and it becomes everything, but we have got to separate our self-worth from the worth of the company. 95% of businesses fail. It's part of what that journey can be. If I call it an epic adventure, it's not a journey walking down a, a joyful path. It goes up and down. It is an adventure. But that to me at the end of the day is that's what it's about. It's this experience in life that you had the freaking courage to do that so many people don't. Mm. You did it and you have a story to tell. And I know that may say, I had somebody say to me the other day, like, I am, I'm, not, I'm not convinced of it. Like, this is my company. What if it falls apart? And I said, what if it falls yeah, what apart? What if it does? And, and, and it my, I, it very likely will. Yeah. And I think like as entrepreneurs, we need to go there actually. Yes. Um, yes. And not, not live there because that becomes a dark yes. space, but we need to ask that question and then we need to say, okay, so if this does happen, what would it look like? Yes. And then how would I recover? What's my recovery story? Yes, that's right. So it's kind of like, it's, it's just there. Yes. You know, and we can yeah. kind of breathe through it a little bit more. I, I look at, similar to you, I look at entrepreneurship as a spiritual path. Yes. You know, yeah. and what I've come to learn over the years is I love building something. Like we're probably wired similarly. Yes. I, I love the white page. Oh my God. Yeah. Like best. that freaks out yes. so many people. I'm like, just give me something blank and I'll, I'll fill it with ideas. And then it's in the world. Right. And what I've learned is that, yeah, I do love creating something from nothing. And what I'm, what I'm maybe even more interested in is how the path of entrepreneurship shapes the entrepreneur. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's very insightful. You know, and it's yeah. and I haven't come to that until really recently, actually. And a lot of the work that we do now outside of, you know, like the podcast is around that because it can destroy you yes. so easily if you don't treat it as a spiritual path. If you if you treat it as this as sort of like more of just a commercial venture and there's only one metric for success. Like you exactly. said, ninety five percent is not gonna work. You know, but if you treat it as more like a spiritual path and say, look, I want this to succeed. Yeah. And even if it doesn't, there's value in it. That's right. It just changes the nature of the experience. Yes, exactly. And, it, you know, and, and that's what I said to this guy that I was talking to. I said, he has, you know, just a very um, soulful company with real purpose in it. And And I said, you know what? At the end of the day, if it doesn't have commercial success, Look at what you put out there in the world, mm -hmm. this beautiful thing that you've put out there, and it's going to lead you now to another place yeah. because of it. And it doesn't have to be scary, but that's why the title of my book is Killing It. It's yeah. a double entendre. Which is funny because when I first saw the title, I was like, I don't know about this. Yeah. And then when I actually I started reading, I'm like, oh, it's actually there's the Silicon Valley killing it yeah. meaning, but then there's something else going on here, that's right. um, which is there's a, you know, a deeper sort of context to it, which is, you know, okay, now it's, it's about living life along That's the right. way. It's about, you know, a more holistic approach, right. which feels like a good place for us to come full circle. So the name of this is good life project. So if I offer that, that phrase out to you to live a good life, mm -hmm. what comes up? Wow. Well, I think, you know, to close down that story with Patrick and I, how, how he ended up saying, you know, I'm on board was that he said, you know what? I know I can feel it in you. Like, this is different. You're thinking about this so differently. As you talked about on the spiritual path that, 
it seems like you're just in, you're in a calm place. And he said, you'll, we'll both know if it starts to grow wrong and we will be partners in this every step of the way. But I am having the time of my life at this company Revel, and I am so proud of it. And to me, what the good life is, is, you know, I think about this as an ecosystem. Look at, I, you know, study plant-based foods. I think about my life as an ecosystem in that I have all these priorities in it. And I think the word balance is bullshit. You know, I don't buy the word balance. It drives me crazy when people try to make people feel guilty by saying your life should be in balance. To me, it's an ecosystem that is constantly trying to move towards balance, but it's evolving along the way and it's feeding each other. So one of the things that I've found in living a good life is that, you know, I work out of my home office. I run a company a lot of times out of my home office, even though it's getting bigger by the second, because I can see my kids walking in the door and I can give them a hug and a kiss where they never saw me before. And that love that I get from my kids and my husband, I bring right into the company. And when we talk about Revel, we have this vision tree that we created and the whole thing is rooted in love. And I love these people and that I love the love that I feel every day. And I know this probably sounds corny, but the love that I feel every day for the people at Rebel, I bring back into my home. One of the things we do is within our Slack channel, which is our internal communication channel, we have a specific channel called Weekend Stories. And what people are to do is they are to post things they're doing on the weekends, whether it be cooking or going on a hike or playing with their dogs, being with friends, whatever it is to show each other that we're, you know, enjoying life outside of this place is so important because when we come back in, revitalize with energy, with new creativity, because we've been part of the world. And the worst thing to me, though, that we can do as entrepreneurs is isolate ourselves. It's the first thing we want to do, but it's the last thing that we should do. You know, when we connect with people our friends and our family, they will love us way beyond where the company is. And they are the people that uplift us when things, when we're down. And they are the people that just remind us who we are. And they're the people that, you know, in my case, if something's going terribly wrong, they're the canaries in the coal mine. And so I think those connections with those people, those relationships are essential in those relationships also to an entrepreneurial tribe, the tribe that always wants to tell each other how good everything is, we have to find those entrepreneurs that were willing to say, you know, this is hard. And, you know, I'll say, I can say a million things, but I'll say one more thing about the journey is a lot of people, I use the words bold humility. And I heard those words from Francis Moore LaPay, who is a you know, brilliant writer about the food movement. And what struck me about those words, and I've carried them with me now, is you know, as entrepreneurs, we think we need to be bold and we need to go all in. And it's about pushing into new places, regardless of what anything says, anybody says. And you have to be bold. Because you you are pushing into a world that no one's gone before. So what I think that needs to be done is we need to balance that with humility. And by, by the way, I know how far bold can take you if you carry it too far because of blue sky. 
So humility means a lot of things to me, but Steve Blank, who is, he started, sure. yeah, he, he wrote the forward to my book and he's um, started along with Eric Reese the Lean Startup methodology. What is profound about that is, I, Steve encapsulates it beautifully in this quote. And what he said is, a startup is not a company. A startup is an experiment waiting to find a sustainable, valuable business model. And so that is humility. It's listening to the marketplace. It's not every time someone changes, says something's wrong, you don't go changing it, going all over the place, but it's finding the thread of truth and knowing that mm, this is time to adapt or time to pivot. And that's what Neil and I did at Nest. We pivoted from this big portfolio to focusing solely on kids. And so it's, it's learning from the world and also the humility of yourself. And I know where I'm good and I know where I suck. And I always tell people at Rebel, I always say, you know, I want you to call for help when you need help because a lot of people think of that as a weakness. To me, that is a sign of strength because you care so much about this company that you admit when you're in a place where you need other people to hold your hand and help you. A good life to me is all these things feeding each other. Thank you. Oh, thank you. I love what you're doing with this thing. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. Thanks. So thank you. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. If the stories and ideas in any way moved you, I would so appreciate if you would take just a few extra seconds for two quick things. One, if it's touched you in some way, if there's some idea or moment in the story or in the conversation that you really feel like you would share with somebody else, that... It would make a difference in somebody else's life. Take a moment and whatever app you're using, just share this episode with somebody who you think it'll make a difference for. Email it if that's the easiest thing, whatever is easiest for you. And then, of course, if you're compelled, subscribe so that you can stay a part of this continuing experience. My greatest hope with this podcast is not just to produce moments um, and share stories and ideas that impact one person listening, but to let it create a conversation, to let it serve as a catalyst for the elevation of all of us together, collectively, because that's how we rise. When stories and ideas become conversations that lead to action, that's when real change happens. And I would love to invite you to participate on that level. Thank you so much, as always, for your intention, for your attention, for your heart. And um, I wish you only the best. I'm Jonathan Fields, signing off for Good Life Project. Good Life Project.